Ever since Abram and Sarai left their homeland for the promised land, as God directed, they seemed to step from one crisis into another. There was a famine. There was a run-in with, with Pharaoh. Things got so bad with Abram's nephew Lot that at one point, there was so much commotion and, and infighting. Abram said, Lot, you go one way and we'll go the other way. And then chapter 15 in the book of Genesis, uh, we read of Abram having to form a war party uh, to rescue Lot from a neighboring king who had taken Lot and his family hostage and was threatening to take their lives. And so Abram becomes a general to lead this attack. And now here in chapter 15, Abram's just exhausted. He's just worn out. I imagine he's dwelling on all that's transpired since he left his home. And he's probably thinking more about the bad stuff than the good. Isn't that what we tend to do? We dwell on those hard things. And he's thinking, forget it. If this is what it means to follow you, God, if this is what it means to be blessed by you, you can have it. I'm kind, of, I'm kind of done. That's where we are at in Genesis chapter 15. So let's read just a portion of that chapter to see what happens and see the covenant that God makes with Abram. Would you please stand to honor God's word as I read from Holy Scripture chapter 15 of the book of Genesis, the first six verses. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took Abram outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then the Lord God said to Abram, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord credited it to him as righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. God interrupts Abram's sulking and speaks to him in a vision, saying, don't be afraid, Abram. Don't, don't be afraid. I, I haven't forgotten you. I am your shield. I am your very great reward. What, what, a, what an assuring word. To, to hear from the Lord at that moment. It's as if God is saying, I, I've got you. I, I've, I've got you. I've been with you every step of the way, Abram. I've got your back. That's the kind of assurance that the Lord God gives to him. And then he adds these words, I am your very great reward. If you're taking notes in your own Bible, underline that incredible promise that the Lord God gives to Abram. It's very, very significant. See, when Abram rescued Lot in the, in the previous chapter, he rescues Lot, the war party 
runs in. They, they run the bad guys out of town. They, they save Lot and his family. And then the text says that uh, he came back to Salem, which is uh, the ancient version of Jerusalem. He comes there, and there's the, the priest king, Melchizedek. And Melchizedek offers up a prayer, giving glory to God for this great victory. And then Abram responds by giving a tenth, a tithe of all that he has to the priest, the king. He's showing this favor that God has shown this great uh, gift of salvation to, to, to Lot and his family. And now Abram responds by giving this offering for the blessing of Melchizedek. But then in the very next passage, the king of Sodom comes to Abram and, and wants to give him a gift as well, a financial reward. But Abram doesn't take it. He's come a long way since we looked at him last week where he was getting paid off by Pharaoh. He says, no, I don't, I don't want financial reward for doing God's will. See, Abram is, is taking steps of faith here. And then here we have this vision from the Lord saying to him, fear not, I am your very great reward. You see, the gift of faith ultimately is a gift of God. That's the only reward that we need, ultimately, is God himself. Abram's starting to figure that out. He doesn't need financial gain. He needs the Lord. The reward of faith is God, and there is no greater reward. And then the, the passage turns in just a moment. We'll see that, that God knows that what, what Abram fears. He, he knows that he doesn't fear another war party, and he doesn't fear financial loss. The living God knows Abram better than he knows himself. Can any of us say that? God knows me better than I know myself. And, and in effect, this is what the Lord says to him, or this is, excuse me, this is what Abram says to the Lord, in effect. He says, Lord, I, I, I'm not afraid anymore. Knowing that, I, that you're with me, I'm not afraid of financial loss, and I'm not afraid of another battle. But Lord God, remember when you called me out of my homeland that you promised to bless me and Sarai? You were going to make us into a great nation? He says, remember at Shechem, Lord God, you, you said that, that my offspring would, would outnumber the sands on the beach. Remember, Lord God, be, between Bethel and Ai, I built an altar there. And you said that, that my children, my descendants would fill the earth. But God, Sarai and I have been trying to have a child for decades, and we are childless. And so your promises, as wonderful as they are, they're not connecting with my reality. Do you see how I'm trying to read into these words? But we can sense that, that longing that Abram has in this plea to the Lord, and the Lord knows exactly what's coming next. Abram says, so I've been thinking about it, and I think the best solution, maybe, I, maybe what it is you're asking me to figure out in discerning your will is that I'm to make my servant my heir. Is that the plan, God? That I make my right-hand man the heir of my estate? In Abram's culture, a childless man could adopt a servant and make that servant 
uh, his heir. And so that isn't outside the bounds of, of the culture of that time. To compensate loyal service, he could certainly do this. It would make sense, wouldn't it? It would just be common sense even at Abram's advanced age and all the years of, of no children. And so on the one hand, he's, he's praying to the Lord, but he's also saying, this, this, is, what, this is my fallback plan. Are you tracking with me what, what's happening here? This is very, very relevant to us. Isn't this how we pray sometimes? I'm going I'm to repeat the songs that we sang in church and hymns of praise and trusting you, God, but, but here's the reality. Here's the plan that I've got. This is what I know. The Lord knows what Abram and Sarai fear the most. And that is to not have a legacy. And so it says in verses four and five, uh, that Yahweh speaks to Abram in this vision. Look at this. He says, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. You see, he's just getting extremely direct, isn't he? Just let's get right down to it. Your own flesh and blood. Then he takes him outside and he says, look at the sky, count the stars. If indeed you can count them, so shall your offspring be. And how does Abram respond? How would you respond? And he says, sure, okay, Lord. I'll just give tomorrow morning and try, try again. I'll try to be faithful to this call that you've put on my, is, is that what he does? He, he could just walk away, couldn't he? Hey, I've done my part, I've done my bit, and I'm out. Look at verse six. Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. I cannot stress enough the importance of this verse. Perhaps one of the most, it is in fact, the most important verse in this section of the book of Genesis and perhaps one of the most important in all of the Old Testament. Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. That he, he was right with God. The Bible says that Abram believed the Lord. The Hebrew word for believe is amin. It's where we get the word. Come on, it's where we get the word. Amen. There you go. We were like, amen. It, it means, what does it mean when we say amen? It means we put our weight on something. We, we trust it. It means we're, we're secure. To say amin is to mean this is true, this is reliable, this is binding on my life. When a Hebrew said amin, it constituted a binding claim. So to say amin, to say amen to God, means to take God at his word. It's to say this is true, this is reliable, this constitutes a binding claim upon my life. I say amen to this. Without any physical supporting evidence, it is to believe. That is the very definition of faith. As I said, there's no way to exaggerate the importance of this verse, this sentence. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. You that study the Bible would know the Apostle Paul built his entire understanding of salvation on this example of faith and on this very verse in Scripture. That we are 
justified, we are made right with God by faith alone. That's the very foundation of the whole Reformation, the Protestant movement of getting back to what Scripture teaches of of how do we get right with God. That we're justified by faith and faith alone, but faith that's not left alone. We'll talk about that later. Justified. Write it down. A divine act in which God declares an unrighteous individual, that would be me, that would be you, because of our sin, that he claims us to be righteous because of the finished work of his son on the cross. And by our faith, put and trusted and leaned on and counted on and bound to all that we have in Christ. That's what we've been singing about all this morning. The finished work of Jesus. The facts were against the promise of uh, of Abram and Sarai from ever becoming a reality. When God said, you will have an heir, it looked impossible. Biblical faith Uh, Biblical faith never closes its eyes to the facts. But biblical faith takes all the facts into the right consideration, puts them in the right proportion. And the fact is, Abram has been walking by faith in the living God, the creator of the universe, who has given him a promise. Those are the facts. Abram is catching up with that by a work of faith. So the Lord God says to him, believe. What is the claim that God puts on each of every one of us here? What claim does God put on your life? Only one. Only one. Believe me, he says. Trust in me. Put your weight on me. That is the very message of Jesus to us. That's all that he's asking. And of that, he asks for everything. To entrust yourself messed up as you are, confused as you are, still with questions, still with a whole lifetime ahead of you of choices to be made, and we'll see Abram makes a whole lot of bad choices coming up. God says, believe in me, and I'll ring it up, and we'll be okay. More than okay, you'll be justified and made right by faith alone. Right relationship with God is is simply, beautifully because of the grace of Jesus Christ. It's because of God choosing you and then you saying in response, amen. Amen to you choosing me, oh God. I trust in you. I believe in you. And that's all that God is asking of Abram. Trust me. Take me at my word. Look at this passage here from Romans chapter 4. 23 to 24, the words accounted to him, Paul's doing a little little Bible study here. He's referring to this very passage. They were not written for Abram's sake alone. Oh, but for yours also. 2,000 years after these events, Paul's writing. Here we are 2,000 years beyond that. Not written just for Abram, not just for the Roman church, for all of us here today. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord. So Abram is beginning to look at all the facts, and as unbelievable as they might seem to an outsider, 
as an insider walking with the Lord, he says, yes. Somehow, some way, I trust what you're telling me, Lord. And we know that he meant it because of what happens at Mount Moriah. And that's a passage we'll look at next week. Let me ask you this question, friends. Whose approval are you looking for in life? Think just for a moment. Whose approval are you looking for in this life? Whose opinion of you matters most in your world today? Even many of you here have, have, have lived a very full life, very successful lives, and yet there still might be someone that you're seeking approval from. Who is it? God says, in Jesus Christ, my son, I approve of you. It's the only approval that we need. God says, I approve you. More than that, I adopt you into my family because of what my son has said. He vouches for you. He paid for you. How should that affect the way we operate in this world? How should that change the way we feel about approval or criticism by people around us. I'll tell you, it should make us free from fear, free from people-pleasing, free from needing the approval of others for our performance, and freed up to love and serve with joy, free to live fully for the glory of God and walk in step with the Spirit no matter what people say or do around us to say, this is the life that God's called me to. I'm free in Christ. That's the life that he offers us today. What's so amazing is Abram took a step of faith and he knew so little, we know so much more. We're on this side of the empty tomb. We're on this side of all the promises uh, in Jesus Christ being yes. We're on this side of all those promises yet to be fulfilled and the assurance of them. We're on this side of, of Christ coming and sending then his Holy Spirit to fill us and to create his church in which we are a part of today. Now the next passage, which we won't read, but I want to explain to you just a moment. It's so wonderful because after all that wonderful expression of faith and we say, yes, amen, close the door, let's go home. Abram still has questions for God. It should have been enough that, that God gave him his word. Abram says, it says he believed. This is the most important verse. I just told you that should be enough. Abram still has questions. Isn't that good news that we could still have questions? Is that okay if you're in home group and you say, I still don't get this. It still doesn't make sense. We can say that. Is that okay? Is there freedom to do that? Absolutely there is. And there's more grace and there's more time. Let's go back to God's word. Let's keep explaining. Let's keep understanding it. Here, Abram still has questions. In fact, he says in the next part of chapter 15, Lord, how will I know that my descendants will inherit the promised land? He, he's already got, okay, I'll grant you, God, that you're going to give me these, these kids and these descendants. Well, how will I know that the promised land will be mine? Think of all the people that are living there, all seem to be his enemies. Now, his word should have been enough, but God condescends to communicate in a way that Abram can understand. And there is a very strange animal sacrifice that's given. 
Do you know the passage? We're not going to read it, but if uh, people for the ethical treatment of animals were here, they would just shut us down. It's quite strange. It's quite strange. But in, in Abram's time, and for centuries later, th- there was no stronger guarantee of a legal agreement than a covenant. In Hebrew, it's literally cutting a covenant. The act of, of dividing animals in half. Picture that. Dividing animals in half, laying them in a path, and walking between the rows of severed parts was an ancient form of contractual agreement. And there are extra biblical examples of this about land grants, about agreements, two parties, two business partners, even two nations. It was pretty much the same procedure. Sacrifice animals. I know, just bear with me. You're like, what in the world is he talking? It's in the Bible. Cut in half, laid out, splayed out, and both parties would walk between the parts. And what would that signify? What in the world would that mean? Well, number one, it meant that both parties were saying, this covenant is binding. It's not just bloody, it's, it's binding. But by, by cutting a covenant, we are saying we are bound by blood. You ever see in, in the movies, I don't think this actually happens, you join a gang and they cut your hand and they cut their hand and they go like this, right, like a blood pack? That's nothing compared to what these guys were doing. They're saying we are bound forever by blood in doing this. That was the first sign of the scene. And number two, walking between the rows, both parties were saying, if this covenant is broken, may my blood be shed and spilled like these animals. If I don't hold up my end of the bargain, my end of this contract, may my blood be spilled like these animals. Can you imagine our world leaders figuring things out like this. Breaking news, CNN. A covenant has been cut. Please cover the eyes of your children as you see what, but this is how they did it in ancient times. All of that gore was understood to be the most secure form of a guarantee in the ancient world. A pledge of honor sealed by blood. And when Abram says, how can I know that I will possess the land What assurance can you give me? The Lord God condescends to give him the most sure assurance that there ever could be in his context, in his understanding of the world. Are you following with me? Verse 12 says, Abram fell into a deep and dark sleep. This darkness falls over him and he has this vision. God's word should have been enough, but the Lord condescends to this human's need and the customs of his time to assure and to build up his faith. Now, I want you to notice something. When the covenant is cut and the animals are laid out, notice this, only God's presence, only the spirit of God passes between those rows of animals. Abram, in the the vision, is only an observer. He only watches the Lord God cut a covenant between God and himself. Are you following me? That means the Lord God himself is cutting the covenant. The Lord God in a sense is saying, the covenant hinges on me and me alone. The Lord God says, Abram, you can take it to the bank because I am responsible. I will guarantee the covenant. God unilaterally sets the terms and the conditions of the covenant 
The Lord God enters a blood-binding relationship with Abram, and Abram is but an observer of this scene. If you know your Bibles, do Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all of Israel keep the covenant? No, they do not. Does the Lord God know that when this covenant is made? Everything in Scripture says the answer is yes. Even when we are faithless, the Lord God remains faithful. The Lord said to him, I am your shield, your very great reward. And now God demonstrates how far he's willing to go. God lays his own reputation on the line. By the way, this is not New Testament. This is Old Testament, okay? Do you see the parallels? God lays his reputation on the line and explains to, Ad, to Abraham how far he's willing to go. That if this covenant is not fulfilled, God will spill his own blood. Nothing of Abraham guarantees the covenant. Its success or failure is beyond him. Only God initiates it and guarantees it. But Abram does have a part to play. What's his part to play? To believe. To say, I trust you. I believe in you. To put his faith in God. To say, amen to God. That's the only part that Abram plays. Do you believe that? That that's all that's asked of you is faith in Jesus? Do you believe that? Many Christians do not. Many Christians believe, well, I get saved by putting faith in Jesus, but then it's up to my faithfulness. Then I better work and make sure that I hold on to it and earn it. Friends, that is not the gospel of grace. And so as you cry out to the Lord, and here are some things that I would cry out to the Lord in prayer. Signs that I need. Do you need a sign this morning? Maybe this morning you're going to receive a sign even as we celebrate communion. I, I wrote these down. Lord, give us a sign that beyond the headlines that you are sovereign over history and your plans cannot be stopped. Where's the sign, oh God? Lord, give us a sign that that our seeking to know you isn't in vain. Lord, give us a sign that our, our broken hearts can be made whole again. There's some folks here that your hearts are broken. And Lord, I'm just praying, give us a sign that, that we can be made whole again. Lord, give me a sign that, that I will be changed and that, that I'm being changed. I'm conforming more and more to the likeness of Christ. Lord, I don't see it. I don't... I need to see it. I need to know it, Lord. Give me a sign that I'm being changed to be more like Jesus. Can you pray that prayer? Give me a sign that you have my back. Give me a sign that when the world presses in on all sides and darkness is all around, that you will shine a light and guide our steps. Lord, give us a sign when we're afraid and when fear is creeping in that you are our shield and our very great reward. And then in 33 AD, a man like no other man gathered with his friends on Passover. And after giving thanks, he took the cup of wine and lifted it and said, this cup is my blood, a new covenant shed for you and for many for forgiveness of sin. And then the next day, he hung on a Roman cross 
in agony. Could, could that have been the sign that, that Abraham had, that vision, that dark vision that we read in, in Genesis 15, verse 12? That day that would come 2,000 years later. Here we are 2,000 years in the future. When Jesus spoke to the people, very often he'd say these words, or maybe just to an individual, he'd say, truly, truly, I say to you. Or if you have King James, he might say, verily, verily. Do you have that version? Or maybe he'd say, I, I tell you the truth. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in every version, the Hebrew would be, amin, amin. What I say is true. What I say is reliable. What I say is worth you putting your faith in. And all that he said, he backed up. And all that he promised has been fulfilled. Truly, truly, I say to you. The question we have, friends, as we prepare to come to this table that represents his shed blood and his broken body is this. Do you take him at his word? Do you take Jesus at his word? Because he's as good as his word. Let's pray. Lord, prepare our hearts. Prepare our hearts now to come to this table. Confirm within us, Lord God, the promises we have in Christ. Amen.